This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Now, we had two weeks off. You lost me at Leviticus, and some of you thought, I guess we're done that one now, but we're back, baby. Fourth week of you lost me on Leviticus. It's, um, yeah, I was expecting cheering there, like, hooray. Hooray. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so, okay. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we started this series, uh, You Lost Me at Leviticus, and I told you that in June, it seemed like a really a good idea. Coming into February, I wasn't so sure. Um, And because this book is a bit of a stretch for a lot of us, um, maybe you're new here and you're new to the Bible. Leviticus is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's like the C, A, B, C. It's the third book in the Bible, third book in the Old Testament. And oftentimes in January, many of us will start with great gusto. I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. And then we get to, to February. It's Leviticus. And we sort of either speed read or we just say, you know what, I'm not feeling too good today. And so we stop at Leviticus. Um, By the way, PSA, if you have dropped off the Bible reading, now is the time to start again. You can start again this week. We are almost through Deuteronomy, everyone. So it's going to be good. We're going to go into stories next. If If you have stopped, let me just shed off all the condemnation and the shame about not doing your Bible reading and start again with us, it's, it's going to be good. Um, but for a lot of us, Leviticus is not a book we spend a lot of time in. And um, I keep thinking this. If the Bible, um, if, if we actually believe that God is real, then it would make sense that we would try to spend our lives understanding who God is, yes? Like, like if God is actually true. If the Bible's real, then we should spend all of our our life energy saying, God, how how do I relate to you? And so this is why we got to know about the the book of Leviticus. You see, when we ignore the difficult parts of the Bible, we are really conceding uh, that what we really just want to know are like the simple parts of God. Have you ever had a friend before who um, didn't really want to know you too well? Like, they just want to know, and you know when this is happening with somebody, they don't want to know about your drama. They don't want to know about your dryer breaking down 55 times. They, don't, they just want to know simple things like, like, how are you feeling about the weather? Or that's a very Calgary thing. It's different at any moment in time. Uh, um, but many of us, we have, a, and when you only have uh, friendships like that, what you have is surface-level friendships with people. And in some ways, that's very lonely because when people don't know the complicated parts of you, they don't really know you. The truth is, all of us are complicated, yes? Wouldn't it be great if we weren't? If we were just like like characters in a cartoon, like what you see? No, we're all very complicated. Some of you are, comp- are confident and yet not. Anybody feel me on this? You're, you're strong and you're weak. You're uh, cheerful and grumpy all in a Monday. And, and 
when we don't know people like this, what, what we have is it, it leads to loneliness. I, I want to suggest that when we are not willing to learn about the complicated parts of God, the wonder and awe of God, what we do is we concede to an inch-mile deep relationship with him, and we wonder why in the difficult times of our life, it seems like, I don't know, this faith thing doesn't seem to be working for us. And this is why we have to learn about Leviticus. Because it's complicated. Because God, him, and listen, I, I'm, I'm not interested in serving a God that's not complicated. Because a God that is not complicated would suggest that a God is like two-dimensional. I'm interested in serving a multi-dimensional God who is bigger than I am, who is stronger than I am, who knows more, who, who inspires wonder and awe. And this is exactly what the book of Leviticus does for us. Okay, so in the first week, we laid down the foundation of Leviticus, and we talked about how Leviticus was written directly after the Israelites had been freed from slavery after almost 500 years. And it, it's a manual for priests that essentially asks the question, how do you teach people how to live in freedom after so many years of captivity? And this is why it's a relevant book for us, because many of us have lived in captivity most of our lives. And the book of Leviticus actually teaches us what does it mean to be a people who are now free. And then in week two, we talked about the seven offerings and how God was a God. He was redefining what it meant to serve God. He, was, he used the word korban, which meant to draw near. This was absolutely life-changing for people hearing it, that God was a God who didn't just um, shoot lightning bolts and yell at people and kill people and he was a God that actually said, come near to me, I'm pleased with you. And then the third week, we looked at the role of priests and how God uses ordinary people, thank God. <sighs> I'm so happy about that. Now this week, um, it's going to get weird. I would tell you to say weird, but that wouldn't help you at all. Uh, this week, I got to get through six chapters of weirdness, everyone. Uh, we're going to look at Leviticus 11 through 5, 16. And... Um, we can go to the next, we can go to the next slide. Uh, th these chapters, uh, in short, are where we talk about chapter 11 talks about food and all the foods you could eat and you couldn't eat. And chapter 12 talks about childbirth. And a lot of you have asked me about this over the last couple of weeks. We're going to talk about it. Chapter 13 and 14 talks about skin diseases. Yes, we are going there. Thank you to all the medical professionals in our field who I will look at during this part because you will not be queasy. And uh, household mold. You didn't know that there was a whole section in the Bible about household mold. And then chapter 15, discharges, blood, and semen. Hmm, yeah, I just said semen in church. <laughs> and then we're going to get to the Day of Atonement, which is probably the hinge. It's the hinge of the whole book of Leviticus. It's like the spine in the middle. If you don't get the Day of Atonement, you don't really get Leviticus. And in fact, most biblical scholars would say that chapter 16 of Leviticus is the hinge of the entire Old Testament. It's a really important verse, and I'm going to try to get through it all in the next 20 minutes. So... By the way, we're not going to be getting to this all. If you would like to draw, go deeper, I mean, there are whole sections you can read about eating rabbits, like a whole, there's a lot of detail, and you can get the notes from, if you don't ha get the newsletter, subscribe to the newsletter, you can get the notes. Okay, so a few fun facts. I never got my music for fun facts. It is not the sound people's fault. It's my fault. I didn't get, I wanted to have a song for it, but we don't have one. Uh, let me just talk to you about a few fun facts as we go through these chapters. The first one is the law of distinction. Um, 
if you want to see people, if you want to show people that all of life is holy, you must first show them that some things are holy. Like if I wanted to show you that something was special, I'd first have to show that everything was special. I'd have first have to show you that some things were special. This is what's happening in the book of Leviticus. Making distinctions is part of creation activity and actually the words that are used in Leviticus 11 through 15, particularly 11 through 15, show this distinction language. You must learn to distinguish, the words keep saying, between the holy and the unholy, between the clean and the unclean. It's this idea of creational language. God is creating a new people. And this is what Leviticus is talking about. Um, the second fun fact is this, the word clean and unclean, um, you see this all throughout the book of Leviticus, is kind of a difficult word to translate. Um, you can read entire epitaphs on this idea of clean and unclean. Uh, clean means without blemish, but uh, most theologians would tell you that unclean would be best translated as taboo. And that's um, directly from the mouth of John Golden Gay, who is one of the premier um, theologians about uh, Leviticus. Okay, so when you're reading l the book of Leviticus and you see this clean, unclean, it's more, when we think of unclean, we think of dirty or awful, and it's not really, uh, that's not really the sentiment the writers were getting at, more like taboo. Um, and the unclean or taboo things in these passages should not be read as inherently sinful. They should rather be read as off-limits. Okay, so this kind of changes everything while you're reading the text. It will help you particularly as we get to uh, the chapters about childbirth and the chapters about sex. Okay, the fourth fun fact is this. When we're reading the book of Leviticus, there's three different kinds of laws that can be found in this book. Ceremonial laws, civic laws, and moral laws. As Christians living in the 21st century, what we are trying to do when we read the book of Leviticus is determine which laws are ceremonial, which laws are civic, and which laws are moral. The ceremonial laws all pointed to the fact that we needed a Messiah, that this was not going to work out long term. And uh, we know from the New Testament that Jesus came to fulfill the ceremonial laws. This is why today I will not be sacrificing a goat I know some of you are worried about the pen <laughs> and sprinkling the blood on you. Partly because I wouldn't be good at that and partly because it would just be gross. Okay, so but it's no longer necessary because we no longer follow ceremonial laws. The civic laws were there to teach the people of Israel how to actually be a people. When you've been in captivity for 500 years, You've you got to have some laws laid down, and God is a God of order, and he laid some laws down. The moral laws, however, found in the books, book of Leviticus are laws that continue on, and most of these can be found in the Ten Commandments, okay? So uh, we wouldn't say, hey, listen, Leviticus tells us not to murder people, but we're under the new covenant, so, like, everything's fair game now. That'd be weird, <laughs> and we would all be scared, right? Okay, so moral laws... The tricky part for Christians in reading the book of Leviticus is that sometimes these three things we get mixed up. So when I was growing up in the 80s, 70s and 80s, uh, people said that, oh, I read in Leviticus, you can't get a tattoo. Uh, therefore, if you get a tattoo, and, and some of you have grown up this way, so this is like, here, here, I'm, not, I'm not saying this as a chastisement to your theology. But most theologians would now say that that is a ceremonial law, not a moral law, 
It was about the time and the context we were in. This is the difficult part about Leviticus. Now, if we don't get real about that, and we don't, if we say silly things like, oh, all the Bible is just so simple and easy. No, that, that, actually, that actually hurts our cause. And so what we're trying to do is discern between what are the ceremonial laws, what are the civic laws, and what are the moral laws. What we want to understand is that, what we, what we do understand is that the moral laws are what God is still calling us today. Now, sometimes when we get to that, people go, well, then I guess we can just throw out all the ceremonial laws. Who cares? I'll just skim read those parts, like the parts about don't wear linen and cotton. Like today, by the way, I am wearing polyester and, lin- and um, cotton here today. I would be, listen, if this was Levitical time, we'd be having problems with my outfit, okay? You, yours too. Um, what we often do, though, is, and, and this has really hurt us, I think, as Christians understanding God's word, because the ceremonial laws, although we don't follow them, they still tell us about the character of God. They still tell us about the way God is and how he cares for us, which is why it's important that while we don't follow them, we still have to understand them and know them and why there's so much goodness in them. Okay, so let's get into chapter 11. Chapter 11 talks to us all about the food laws. It tells us, uh, let's read just chapter 11, verse 44. It says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. And then chapter 11 goes through all these ideas of what you can eat. You can't eat pork. You can't eat lobster. You can't eat all the good things. No bacon, no lobster, no shrimp. You can't eat uh, certain kind of bugs. I really wasn't into eating any bugs. But I did find this bug. Some child has left it in the sanctuary. This would be against Levitical law. It's... um, it's, is it your bug? Is it somebody's bug? Yes, I found it for you. <laughs> and you've become a sermon illustration for me today. <laughs> okay, so there are all kinds of... The question becomes, why? Why was God concerned? There's a couple of reasons for it. I had to go quite quickly through. Um, by the way, food laws were not unusual. Um, in the a- near ancient times, food laws were very usual. Um, they were also, there would be health reasons related to all these things. Uh, we often think about it like we get our bacon from Safeway. Uh, they were getting bacon from um, a desert. And this created all kinds of different health issues. Um, most scholars would say that because they were living in that time, that a lot of these laws that God gave were health-related. Um, it's also, uh, we've talked about this. Can I get just the slide about the, the food rules? Um, we've talked about this before, that the, um, God was setting up a distinct people. Um, he was setting up uh, Israel to be different than the rest of the neighbors, and so this was important. And then there's all kinds of thinking around the structure and ecology. Um, but basically, here's what God, I know there's goats coming on the stage. Um, we don't need the goats just yet. Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. Because the thing is... Okay, here's the weird thing about teaching. You can, now if you're watching online, you were zoned out watching the goats too, but um, yeah, the goats are gonna come back in a minute. Just, here's the thing though. What, what these chapters point to, this particularly this food chapter, is that God cared about what we ingest in our body. He, he cared about us 
deeply. He cared about the people of Israel deeply. He cared if they ate a cockroach or not. This tells you something about the character of our God, that he's not just a God that says, hey, just go do whatever you want. He's not an uninvolved parent who just says, like, whatever you want, hey, who cares, just live your own life, raise yourself by wolves. I don't think you were allowed to eat wolves anyway, so. Uh, God was a God immensely, who cared immensely. And then we get on to chapter 12. And this is the, the chapter that talks about childbirth. In chapter 12, verse 1 through 4, it says, The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Now, if you read that as unclean, you read it as the word unclean. What? I just gave birth and now I'm like dirty? What is going on? Have any of you ever read that and thought, weird? If you read it like taboo, though, like off limits, this becomes an entirely different thing. Okay, Carmen, you just had a baby recently. You know, anybody who's ever had a baby recently, Emily, you're going to have a baby any day. Um, Now, when you had a baby, do you know what you don't want, everybody? People coming around you and, like, trying to be around you. You you know what you want to be? I am off limits right now. Stay away from me right now. I have just had a baby. I don't need to get into the details. You can just look at my face and know that the details are there. Stay away from me. And God understood this. Leviticus, if in Leviticus 11, God's saying that I care about every detail of your life, even down to what you eat, I see you. In Leviticus chapter 12, God is saying, listen, in the most beautiful time of life, do you know that when a, ba- when a woman gives birth to a baby, this is when in a, a man and a woman together create a baby, this is when they're most like God. You've created something. There's something beautiful in it. Not God, don't send me letters about that this week. But there is something beautiful about that and God puts boundaries around people who who does it you know what he says you know what you shouldn't be doing when you've just had a baby coming into God's house and shining the brass you know what you shouldn't be doing taking part in in sacrifices why because I care about you I'm 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 making you off limits for a season there's something beautiful in that chapter. God is not saying you are filthy or dirty or there's anything. He's just saying you need a break. He's giving you a Kit Kat in Leviticus chapter 12. We can see that in Leviticus 11 and 12 that God is heightening our senses to the most elemental parts of life. And you can see why this would be important for people who have been slaves for 500 years. He's waking the people of Israel up to like these elemental parts of life and saying, I breathed in you. Okay, chapter 13 and 14. Oh, this is, if you've got a queasy stomach, chapter 13 and 14 are not for you. (laughs) Probably not a life verse. This is where it says, the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin, that may be a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin. I am so glad I was not a priest back then. And if the hair in the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines that person, he shall pronounce them ceremonially, ceremonially, unclean. Again, not evil, not sinful, 
unclean, taboo, off limits. Um, by the way, in, ex in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, there are seven classifications of skin diseases. And we know from this book already that the word seven means all encompassing. <laughs> so we're talking about all the skin diseases. Why was this so important? Do you see, when you read this book in your devotions and you have chapter 11 about the food, chapter 12 about childbirth, chapter 13 and 14 about skin diseases, I know some of you have read it and gone, what is going on here? Um, but there, uh, and then it goes on in verse 47 and 59. These are very long chapters about mold. How do skin diseases and mold in your house, have any, have any of you ever thought I've got a rash? It's probably mold. And then mold in fabrics. It becomes interesting. Okay, there's a couple of reasons this would have been here. In the, in the ancient Near East, when you had a skin disease, usually this was seen as judgment from God. Okay, so all the neighbors, if you got leprosy, it's because God didn't like you. If you got some, but what's interesting in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, it's not that way at all. Um, it, it, it's, there's no wrongdoing or sin or shame heaped on the people. This is very important. Um, it was a non-judgmental way to deal with disease. When the people were reading this for the first time, they would have been in awe of the fact that God wasn't saying, I'm punishing you. He was just teaching people how to deal with illness. And, and this is important for us to see as Christians today because sometimes in our circles we get to this weird thing, oh, you got, you got diagnosed with a bad disease, did you? What did you do wrong? We, we've had weird theology like this. When we come back to Leviticus, I, I want us to remember that in this section, God just said, listen, illness happens when we've got to deal with it correctly. Um, and these were radical ideas about diseases, infections, and molds, by the way radical. Uh, the Israelites were the first people to like send people outside the camp so that the whole community did not get infected. And there were basic health and hygiene ideas, again, coming back to those civic rules. How do you get people to like live a life? And then also it's this interesting idea that bodies are central in this new ordering of the world. This is important. For many of us, we have a Gnostic view of the world. By that, I mean this. We think our spirits are good, our bodies are like, at best, just sort of like neutral. But Leviticus teaches us that right from the beginning, God said your body is good. It's good. And we are going to steward it in a way that creates goodness. Okay, then chapter 15 is all about discharges. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any man has an unusual bodily discharge, such a discharge is unclean. I like that the, the writer of this was kind of nervous too. And they kind of wrote it nervous like. You can read all the commentary on it this week. Uh, Whether it continues flowing from his body or it is blocked, it will make him unclean. This is how discharge will bring about uncleanliness. And then when a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. Again, uh, in some women's liberation theology, this has been discounted. It's, it's important we actually talk about these kinds of things because sometimes when people, you'll tell people you're a Christian, they'll say things like, oh, too bad for you. 
But in fact, this was very empowering to people who lived in this day. God wasn't saying people were, uh, that women particularly were unclean or men. He was just saying that when this happens, he was giving credence to the fact that life flows out of people's bodies and that there are seasons and times for people to uh, have aloneness in all God's people said, um, what we learn, this, this text, again, heightens our sentences to the most basic life forces that are flowing through you. And um, it, it, it talks about how the whole world is to be ordered. And this, um, particularly the chapters about sex, tell us that covenant is about the whole person, that sex is about, um, that people are not to be used, but to be respected. And um, in, in most near ancient places, sex and the temple were all mixed together, but this is not true here. Uh, in most religions that were happening at the time, uh, sex and um, religion were all mixed together. But in this life, in this, it, for the Israelites, this was not true. God dealt with it as it was. Okay, so what did all these things, so when you read these, you think to yourself, well, how did they get, why did they jump around from all these things? Uh, let me just give you a few things. All of life is sacred. Leviticus 11 through 15 tells us that all of life is sacred. Milgram said this, everything in Leviticus is driving a wedge between death and the forces of life. This is amazing. God, God actually cares about your life. Every part of your life. The way that your body works. He is not just a God concerned with your soul. He is a God concerned with every part of you. And it also reminds us that the Israelites were called to be distinct and holy, set apart over and over again. Uh, God says you're, you're to be holy. And to be holy doesn't mean to be, like, uptight. It means to be set apart, different. And I, I, we, we would say that in the New Testament, the New Covenant, God still calls his people to be holy, to be set apart, to be different. And, and I think what we recognize from these chapters is that God is concerned with life. He's concerned with your life. He's concerned with how you live your life. He's concerned with the basic elemental parts. This is why, this, by the way, this is why, you know when you sit down and you eat, and just traditionally, we pray a prayer before we eat. Most of us don't even know really why we do that, except for that, like, your parents told you to do it, so now you do it, and something to do with thankfulness, you think. But really, what that is about, it's a powerful uh, it's a powerful moment to say, God, you care about everything that I'm doing right now, everything that I'm ingesting in my body, every way that I use this body of mine matters. Body theology matters, how we use our bodies. And this is what Leviticus 11 through 15 tells us. Now, there are all kinds of rules and regulations in that, and there, were no, there was no way on earth that anybody was going to be able to follow them. I read a theologian last night saying that if the Israelites actually had to follow everything and then had to like 
give a sacrifice every time something went wrong. They'd be sacrificing in the morning. They'd be sacrificing at lunch. They'd be sacrificing. And if it was me, I would have to quit my job and sacrifice. That's all I'd have to do. Yes, you too? Okay. So right here in the middle, after all of these personal holiness codes, we come to Leviticus 16. And now I'm going to have the goats come. I don't know if Gifty can hear me. Yes, yes, bring the goats now. Okay. So Leviticus 16 is this, uh, right after all the don't eat this and stop eating cockroaches and uh, like talking about people having sex and all kinds, then we get to Leviticus chapter 16. Aren't they cute? Oh, they're so cute. Okay. They have to come in triplets because they don't like to be alone. Oh, hello, little goat. This is either going to be a really good idea or a really bad idea. We're not sure. Oh, yeah, that one's going to throw up. <laughs> okay. Oh, they're so cute. Okay, so here's what would happen in Leviticus chapter 16. So you've read Leviticus 11 through 15. It's talking about all the things and all the ways that you have to follow. And if you're an Israelite living in that day, you are feeling like under stress because you cannot, you can't do it all. Like you're thinking to yourself, shoot, I ate a cockroach already and I had bacon on Tuesday. This is not working out well for me. I'm going to have to sacrifice all the time. So God made provision for the Israelites. And um, he said, what, what we're going to do is we're going to have a day called Yom Kippur. Some of you have heard of this before. It's in your ca Google calendar. Uh, Yom Kippur means to cover. Yom means day. So it's the day everything gets covered. And what would happen is the priest on this day would... Am I allowed to go in the pen? Okay, great. <laughs> Gwen, you're going to be happy. We put down these mats, yes. What would happen is the priest would have two goats that were brought to him on the day of Yom Kippur, and he would choose two. I'm going to choose two now. I'm going to choose these two little black ones because they're small. If I pick them up, will they bite me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so. Hi. Hi, bud. There's a reason I don't do baby dedications, by the way. <laughs> okay, hi. Hi, little man. <laughs> Maybe he's not a man. Okay. And he would choose one of the goats. And one of the goats, they would, um, they would sacrifice. Don't worry, I'm not going to sacrifice you. <laughs> and they would actually pick lots to decide which one. By the way, we talked about this at another time. They, they would have to be very well acquainted with their animals, because it had to be an animal without blemish. Whoops, sorry. Yeah, you couldn't do that. Stepping on the foot would make them blemished. <laughs> and then one of the, one of them, can I, can I come out of here with this goat? Okay, great. Okay, this is going to look weird on the live stream. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> and then the other goat, after the, after the sacrifice was done, the other goat would be handed to the priest and the priest would put his hands on top of the goat and he would confess every sin of the Israelite people. Yeah. Imagine yourself for a minute though. Yeah. Hi. Imagine yourself for a minute. Think of yourself being there. Yeah. 
and all of the sins that you have committed. All of the sins. Every sin you ever did in a year. The priest would put his hands on the goat and say, God, for every lie that the people have told, for every adulterous thought the people have had, for every amount of greed and envy, for every lie, for every bit of rage. Yeah, and the goat would say amen. But all of a sudden, all the things that you had done wrong were being placed on this goat. Listen, even at the beginning of time, the laying on of hands was important. And the priest would take a red cord, signify, I'm going to put this on you, don't eat it, okay? He'd put a red cord around the goat. And then they would they would designate somebody from the Israelite community. Gifty, I'm designating you. After imputing the goat with all of the sin, all of the sin, they'd put the red cord on the goat, and then they would designate somebody to take the goat out, whoops, out, outside the camp of Israel. You can take the goat away. We didn't practice that. There's a couple things that are interesting about Yom Kippur. When the priest would do this whole sacrifice, a couple of things would happen. First of all, the priest would take off his, his priestly garments. So if you read back before in Leviticus, there are all kinds of like requirements for what the priest would wear. But on Yom Kippur, the priest would just wear plain linen, insinuating this, that all of us are in need of covering. All of us. It's not just the priest. And then there was all kinds of like theatrics around it. Um, when the priest would come to get these goats, he, he actually had to sacrifice a bull first. I just didn't think it would be good to bring a bull on the stage. <laughs> it's interesting though, the priest had to sacrifice a bull and the goats, the little goats covered everybody else and that's a whole other sermon in and of itself. But there was smoke, like, if you read Leviticus chapter 16, read it, this, there was like, I know some of you are like weirded out that we sometimes have a smoke show. Last week, Kyle, you were caught in the smoke of glory. There was so much smoke. Listen, our God is a theatrical God. I really, I was really thinking about this this week. Some of you are really into drama and performance, and, and some of you have said things, well, I don't want performance, I just want God. Well, Leviticus chapter 16, God says, hey, I'm also about the performance, everyone. I'm a smoke show. I want a smoke show. So just, that's for free. And then God would, um, yeah, we can have the band back. And the goats are going to sing with you. I, I want you to see, see Yom Kippur, though, set right in the middle of the book of Leviticus. After hearing all the laws that they were supposed to follow, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, Leviticus chapter 16, tells us that we have a God who understands us. We don't serve 
like the, the God of the Old Testament is not like angry God. God of the New Testament is like, oh, I get you now. God understood how people were right from the beginning. He knew, you're not going to be able to follow. I'm going to give you all these rules to live holy. You're not going to be able to do it. Right in the middle, God says that. You know, when Leviticus was written, people were asking this question, how do we keep the gods on our side? It's, it's actually what people are still asking today, by the way. How do I, and, and sometimes it's not um, voiced that way, it's like, how do I keep luck on my side? How do I keep things going? I've got, you know, this kind of idea. How do I keep things, like, going good? Leviticus gives us a different way, though. Leviticus chapter 16 says, For on this day atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you from all your sins, and you shall be clean before the Lord. Leviticus 16 didn't say to the people, hey, listen, the priest is going to like say all the things that you did and put it on the goat, and it might go good for you. Like you might be cleansed. No. They said, it will go well for you, and God is now pleased with you. This picture of the goat taking all the sin is a picture of Jesus. In fact, Jesus is both seen in the book of Hebrews as the high priest and as the sacrifice. I want you to see, though, this is, this is maybe the most important thing about Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, or atonement, the covering of our sin, is tied to Sabbath. Even still today, when Jewish people celebrate Yom Kippur, it is like, um, it is like a Sabbath of all Sabbaths. Nobody does anything on these days. You're not allowed to do anything. There's importance in this. It says, for on this day of atonement, atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you from all your sins and you shall be clean before the Lord. Not, you might be, if you like smile pretty enough or if the guy says you're like deepest, darkest sin. It is a Sabbath of complete rest to you and you shall deny yourselves. It is a statute forever. Listen, when God comes and cleanses us, there is absolutely nothing you can do Nothing, nothing. You, you, you don't have to, like, when, when the priest took the goat and put all of the sins of the people on the goat, the people were required to do nothing, nothing. This was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would come and do for us, that Jesus would come and be our atonement. He would come and take all of our sins, and guess what we were required to do? nothing. This is why it is not a salvation of works. We don't believe in a salvation of works. We're like, hey, maybe you could help. If you help out at the warming center three out of five days, and like you try to be like a basic good person, and you don't run old ladies over in your car, then you might make it to heaven. No, Yom Kippur, Leviticus chapter 16, tells us that from the beginning, our gospel is a gospel of grace. That is us saying yes to God. Yes. All of your, some of you have been so caught up in shame with all of your mistakes. Leviticus chapter 16 reminds us that we no longer have to live in shame. We don't have to live, we just have to say yes to God. What's interesting is that when you read the Midrash about Yom Kippur, 
the red rope would be tied around the goat and the goat would be led out outside the camp. By the way, similar to Jesus, who is crucified where? Outside of the city. But we're told that that red cord would turn white. And when the priests would take off, you can imagine they've done a bunch of sacrifices. They've sprinkled blood everywhere. If I'm wearing a white outfit and I sacrifice something, I'm covered in blood. The priests would take off their white garments and they would hang them out to dry. And what would happen is the priestly garments that were red would turn white, signifying this. That God is a God who not just covers over our sins, but takes them away. Who removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. So far as he removed our transgressions from us. Some of you are all caught up in shame. You're worried you're not enough. You're worried you'll never be enough. You read Leviticus 11 through 15 and then just say, like, I just can't do it. You're right, you can't do it. And that's why we come to Leviticus 16. And God says, stop it. Stop everything. Stop everything you're doing. I am the God who forgives you. I am the God who, who takes away your shame. All across the house today, could you stand with me? God is here in this place. I know this like I know that I have breath today. I, I just know that there are some of us that have lived under condemnation for too long. Today, God says, today's your day to come out from condemnation. That he's a God of grace. He's a God that wants to take all your shame and all your not being good enough and transform it. He is a God who cares about every part of you. He is a God who is defending life, defending your life. Who's saying every part of you matters. There's not one part of you that does not matter. There's not one thought that you, have, that you have thought that he didn't care about. And his greatest and deepest desire is to make you right with him. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads in this moment. Maybe you're here and you've lived with all kinds of shame. Maybe you have all kinds of religious baggage. You're wondering how you could ever... Um, you could ever make yourself good enough. Today, I want you to know that Jesus stands here today. And just like that goat, he wants to take all your sin, all your sin on him. Some of you are Christians. You've said yes to Jesus before, but you have been living with your own kind of guilt about things. Today, I'm praying that that's going to be broken in Jesus' name, that you would say yes to God again, that you would say yes to Jesus. Some of you have lived with debilitating shame. And so, God, in this moment, I pray that you would give your people courage to say yes to you, to place all their shortcomings, all their sin on you. And I, I pray that what Paul wrote to us in Romans chapter 8, that there is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, that that would be true. That would be true of us. For the person today who has never said yes to you today, God, I pray that you'd give them courage to say yes. Thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you, God, that you are concerned with every part of our life. 
We love you, Jesus. We love you. May we remember that you have always been making a way for us. May we live in that now. May we live in that every moment of every day that we would live as the free people you have called us to be. That we would no longer live in bondage, but we would live in freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, today is your day to say yes. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Maybe you're here, though, and you have said yes to Jesus, but you have been living under all kinds of, like, I don't know if I'm good enough. Sometimes when there is a truth from God's word, we, we actually have to learn to live into that truth. Some of you maybe need to print off a picture of a goat and put it on your mirror this week and remind yourself that, listen, God, Jesus Jesus came to take all my stuff, all my brokenness. He didn't just like, like hopefully you'll be good enough. No, he took it all. He took it all. And I'm praying today that this is how we get to transformation though. We just decide, I'm not living with that anymore. Is anybody ready to stop living with shame? Stop living with condemnation? Stop living with beating yourself up for not making it enough? Listen, if God could use a little goat Man, he really cares about us. He, his will for you is to not live under that shame. His will is for you to live a holy life because he's done it for you. Not because you willed your way into it and you got good enough, but because he, you said yes to him. Amen? God bless your people today. May we live in the wonder and awe of your goodness to us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.